sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood, Tuesday, October 27th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on Sports Grid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez, and as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to get you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And we're going to try and put the fun in functional sports content at the same time. And Kev, when we were just coming in, right now, we heard the glorious song Wangsta by 50 Cent, and we were talking about this game that whoever lost this game would be seen mm. as a wangster and ultimately that may be the chicago bears because the los angeles rams at home got the job done they win 24 to 10 they go to five and two the bears fall to five and two in an nfc which is a very fluid situation we have been talking about it before we thought defense would run the day in this one it was a low total it goes under that low total the bears needed their defense to put any touchdowns on the board because nick Foles, david montgomery and the crew like we talked about could not necessarily move the ball the rams on the other side were using their running game to move the ball this is not the greatest show on turf this is not the high flying jared goff even of the early mcveigh this is that more physical offensive line we have talked about and now a combination of daryl henderson and malcolm Brown. Brown getting over 100 yards again, getting into the end zone again, and helping control the clock and the ball and the offense for these Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, for the Rams, from when Goff threw a touchdown to Gerald Everett until they ended the game outside of the knee, I'm not even including that, that 11 offensive plays, every single one of them was a run. They were really good through the air. They just they just didn't need to do anything else on the offensive yeah. side of the ball. Slash... Sean McVay with a very conservative football game. Punted multiple times inside Bears territory. Can we talk about Hecker? Can we talk about Hecker? I mean, the dude was bananas. Literally, like five or six point punts inside the 10, doing different kinds of punts. I know, I know, like we're talking about a punter, but he legitimately, in this kind of game, right, with a defensive struggle, field position was important. And that Bears offense that we saw was not driving 90 yards down the field, Kev. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? It allowed the Rams to probably pin their ear backs. It limits the play calls uh, likely for the, the Bears team. I'm not 100%. They, they were they were great punts. Rarely do you see the game ending, and they are talking about a punter as like maybe player of the game. Uh, right. Definitely give Johnny uh, Hecker his due. But Sean McVay was still coaching a heck of a conservative game, even back in the first half. Uh, he was taking field goals on the five-yard line. He was just very much so taking – what was there in a very non-aggressive fashion. Um, When you talk about the what was at stake in this game, significantly more for the Rams. If the Bears went to 6-1 and with a road victory here uh, on the West Coast, I mean, the conversation here for a lot of people is one they probably couldn't wrap their heads around. Uh, The Rams then would have dropped to 
Four and three. Now the whole narrative only beat the NFC East gets turned up even more, dropping two in a row, of course, both on prime time, really raises the ante up. So I thought this was a game that the Rams had to have. They were close to touchdown favorites, and they were the better team. Yeah, they absolutely were. You know, Jared Goff, as you mentioned, an efficient performance, 23 of 33 for 219 yards and two touchdowns. We welcome in all of our radio affiliates around the country, around the globe, as you get in early with us here on the grid, on the early line, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. Kev, you know something that I found interesting? You know, I like little nuggets about scheme and the way people are playing. And they they put up this stat. And it was just one brief mention, but I think it's important. Something that I believe the football fan needs to see in the evolution of the game. They put up a stat, Kev, that the Rams are second most in the league in terms of, and this is going to sound silly, but pre-snap motion. Okay, that they have guys going in motion um, and more than every team except the Baltimore Ravens. And I thought that was very, very interesting. I see teams, Kev, like the Rams, like the Ravens, like the 49ers, like we've talked about in KC and Pittsburgh, that have a lot to this run game, a lot of horizontal to their run game. Uh, We've talked about it with the Chiefs when we were talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that like Tariq Hill and the end-arounds are a legit part of their game. We are seeing that with San Francisco and Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. We see that in the Rams' run game as well. Robert Woods with four carries. Cooper Cup gets carries. A lot of these teams, more and more, are using this jet sweep action, using this motion action, and threatening the edges in the run game horizontally. And then what else do you know about those teams? They also then have tight ends and passing games that then go vertically. This is a um, this is a way that good running teams are generating more threats in the run game. And the Rams do it almost as much as anybody. We have talked about teams where... Uh, you know, like you had to count the quarterback as part of the run game when we were doing our deep dives, remember? There are more and more teams that are literally leveraging their wide receivers as part of the wide run game, and the teams that are doing it are also teams that seem to be effective, Kev. Yeah, I mean, Sean McVay is smart. You know, he's been using uh, this to his advantage for a long time. Uh, There's a reason why he's always running play action and never just straight dropbacks. He doesn't have to establish the run. It just works. And he's doing what he can to put his guy, Jared Goff, in a position to, you know, see what the defense has given him and make it easier. Yeah, absolutely. He said it. He likes to threaten the defense pre-snap. And I just think of the other teams that do it, and it's all threatening and effective. We'll talk more about this game when we come back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. Dane and Kev giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Now, we talk about the Rams and listen how they move to 5-2. and two. What do they look like? Their defense was good. They have different ways to threaten you on offense to make Jared Goff look efficient. Let's talk, though, about the Bears side. Now, people were talking about them as Fugazi even when they were 5-1. and one. You know the way I feel about them, but let's figure out what did they look like on the field. Kev, for me, 
listen, their defense is going to be fine. Right, Their defense, we know, can make plays. We've seen Hicks. We've seen Mack. We've seen what they can do. I mean, they scored a defensive touchdown. But, Kev, whether it's Mitchell Trubisky or Nick Foles, I just don't know that this offense like has the horses. We have been fading David Montgomery for a while. Allen Robinson did his thing, gets 70 yards, but with a top corner like Ramsey on him, he can be stifled. And where do they go from there, Kev? You know, it's guys mm. like Anthony Miller – a Mooney, uh, a Jimmy Graham, a Cole Komet, a Corderell Patterson. I just don't know that this Bears offense has the horses to put up what they need to to support this defense. Now, I do believe this team should have, again, done everything they could to get Le'Veon Bell in, but maybe they did. And Le'Veon Bell wanted to go to Kansas City. Who could blame him? I would love to see this team try and make additions to their skill position room, whether it be a running back, Cordero Patterson, this experiment is over, it does not work, uh, or whether that be just more talent at the wide receiver position, because the Cordero Patterson uh, experiment, again, just does not work. Like, please stop this. This is awful. He is a kick returner. I will say this, though. We gave Johnny Hecker his credit, so let's make sure we are consistently giving him his credit. This team missed multiple deep shots. That would have, if not gone 90 to the house, I mean, they would have opened the whole game up, right? And had the field positioning been different, maybe they were able to connect on those. Because we know how dangerous playing offense is when you are on your seven-yard line. I actually thought they should have got a safety on that run play. I thought that was a holding holding? in the end zone. Yeah, it was. I thought that was was holding in the end zone for a safety, but I digress. It definitely was. It definitely was. Now, I will say this, though. We've talked about this. The power of expectations, right? A lot of people today will tell you the Bears are done. Worst 5-2 and team in football. When we re-ask the question, who misses out in this NFC picture? Everybody will tell you the Bears plus one. But everybody will be telling you the Bears. Because this was the performance that they needed to tell you that they were terrible. But let's think about this, right? The Bears went and played a pissed-off Rams team, right, who Mm -hmm. were hosting a primetime game east-to-west travel. I mean, Dane, if we go back to what we talked about during roster resets, this is one of the easiest picks, one of the easiest picks you could make. Now, would you have liked to seen it be a bit more competitive from the Bears' side? Right. Yes, although... I feel like this game, they were hanging around even when the score was 24-3. to And I don't know, maybe for folks at home, if it landed differently, the game didn't feel completely out of reach until the very, very, very final moments. I think that's why I'm not going to sit here today and write the Bears off. They lost a game they should have lost in a pretty bad spot. How do they bounce back? We spoke about this three-game window of at Rams, home versus the Saints, at Titans. They didn't need to be 3-0. They don't need to be 2-1. Can they get one of those games just to prove that they do belong in this upper echelon of teams that they've put themselves in through their 5-1 start to the season? 
No, I think that's true. Listen, the idea of uh, a lot of team people still not believing them, them count me among them, right? And we said that that three-game stretch would be an opportunity to prove what they could do. They didn't get the first one, so let's see what happens. They will be home against New Orleans next week. They are a home dog as of now, getting a field goal at home against the Saints. And then you mentioned they have the Titans on deck after that, right? So this will, if they see it as an opportunity to prove themselves in the NFC. But I do want to then ask you, Kev, now that week seven is, you know, to bed, right? And we start to look to Mm. week eight. I mean, we are now at a position where I think the idea of understanding where these teams are in terms of, I don't want to say necessarily the playoff race or the playoff picture, but in terms of these tiers, it is interesting. So you mentioned the kind of Bears and the Rams and their status in the NFC. Let's look at the NFC right now okay as we look at the kind of standings here in the nfc you got green bay and seattle with one loss right you got tampa who a lot of people like right now in the south they are leading the south and then philly at two four and one leading the east right then you've got three count them three five and two teams remember guys Seven teams will make the playoffs, three wild cards. Right now, those would be the five and two teams, the Bears, the Cardinals, and the Los Angeles Rams. You know what I think is funny right now? Three of the four in the West would get in, and obviously only the division winner in the East, Philadelphia, at 2-4-1. and one. Like, Philly wouldn't even be on this graphic normally, except for the fact that they are, in fact, a division leader right now. Let me ask you this. I will say it in the context, Kev, of last week when there was just buzz about Antonio Brown in Tampa. I didn't even need to know that he was going to get signed. I needed to know that Tampa was still shoving all in to support Tom Brady in the limited window that he has. I told you that I was intrigued by the Bucs, and I am now holding a futures ticket for the Bucs to win the NFC. Where would you, Kev, draw the lines when we talk about tiers in the NFC right now, especially as it relates to these two teams that played last night. Like, are they second-tier teams? Yeah, they're both second-tier teams. I think the NFC is right now pretty easy to tier off. The Packers, the Seahawks, and the Bucks have established themselves as the top three. The Bears, Cardinals, Rams, Saints, and Niners are all pretty much tier two teams. Philly is going to make the playoffs. That is who you have in the mix. I do not believe in the Lions nor the Panthers, even if they have both hung around to this point in the season. And I would say, when you look at tier one versus tier two, that is where these teams belong to this point in the year. What, you know, expectations and results, all things considered. But there is plenty of movement that can be had. And I'm very open to the idea that the NFC is one big, giant, 18 tier one. Or almost, there is no tier one because it's disrespectful to the idea of a tier one. And there's eight tier two type of football teams because right now the team who sits atop the entire nfc green bay packers if they go and they played the team who was at the bottom 
the San Francisco 49ers, which is a game that is on the slate to be played in San Fran, I believe Sunday night football at later in the year. Don't tell me that there is an 18 gap between those teams because there isn't an 18 gap between those two teams in terms of the way we would value them. So I think this is an NFC picture that in three weeks would not surprise me if it were flipped on its head. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate the way you as a Philly fan talk about, okay, Philly will make the playoffs. We have to when we're thinking about this, right? Kind of back out the NFC East as its yeah. own thing. Right. The division winner will get there. They'll be the four seed and we'll Mm -hmm. see what happens in that in that matchup in that first weekend. Right. So in essence, outside of that, we're talking about six spots. And for these kind of what you're having as the tier one, maybe with Philly as that line and then the teams underneath it fighting for, say, like the wild card spots. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting to me is we have examples, right, of those tier two teams beating tier one teams. Arizona just beat Seattle this week. You know, Chicago has a win against Tampa Bay, right? We have seen this and we're going to see Green Bay maybe lose in division, whether it's the Chicago or even get tripped up against Minnesota or Detroit or whatever the case may be. So I do think it is very interesting when we come back. Here's what we're going to do, Kev. Now that you have set the stage in your mind about those tiers, now we're going to look at the NFC conference odds to find out where is the value. You're talking about it as a group of eight. You know, I say all the time, if there's a big old group of eight, let's take the bottom. Whether it's in sports investment, whether it's fantasy, let's take the B side, right? So we'll look at those odds, we'll find the value, then we'll do the same exercise on the AFC side as we're already almost halfway done with the season. So we step back and reflect and reset. And we do that up next on The Early Line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on SportsGrid. Big shout out to all of our affiliates who are getting the edge and hopping on early with us, Dane Martinez, and of course, the candle burner, Kevin Walsh. You know, Kev, we did the exercise kind of conceptually in the mm-hmm. tiers, right? You've talked about the top three, an NFC East champion, and then the other kind of contenders in that wild card era that may have, you know, a shot to bow up and contend for the championship. As I look at the NFC odds, though, Kev, I told you I got a piece of Tampa because I believe they are the class of the NFC because I believe they do also have a defense to go along with it, right? So that's how the book is seeing them, right? Tampa's at plus 370, Seattle 4-1, to Green Bay just shy of 5-1. to Then... You see some of these other teams you're talking about, right? The Saints at 6, the Rams at 8, the Cardinals at 13. I draw your attention, Kev. For me, I think the value could be the San Francisco 49ers still at 13-1. to This is a team that is being booked right now as the 7th best team. They have a little bit of the hangover. But for me, if I'm going to look at this market, Kev, I'm going to look at a team with reasons to get better 
over time. And I think the 49ers have been, as we all know, very banged up. They continue to be banged up, right? Debo Samuel now, Jeff mm-hmm. Wilson now going to miss a few weeks. But it seems like they can just put anybody there at the running back position with the scheme, with the offensive line. Debo Samuel is a big loss if it's any time. But ironically, Kev, it's almost like the San Francisco 49ers draft because they know their identity. Because in my opinion, Brandon Ayuk can do a lot of what Debo Samuel was doing for this team. So for me, I think there's potential value with the 49ers. What do you think when you see the odds overlaid on what we've been talking about vis-a-vis these tiers in the NFC? So there's a couple of spots that stand out, but I want to ask you a question before all of that. How much do you care about what you expect the team to do in week eight as it pertains to this market? Not as much as I think you do. Um, if we were talking about a baseball playoff series, right, that's a five-game mm-hmm. series, I am far more comfortable being like, and if this happens, then the whole, you know, uh, the whole mm-hmm. market shifts enough to get that sure. edge with, you know, eight or nine games left. I think that's a much more slippery slope. I agree. But we are always trying to get the best of numbers. That's and... One of the things with this NFC picture is, as we can see, again, we're going to remove the NFC East. Eight teams to make up six spots. I don't give you a refund if your team doesn't make the dance. And while I believe the Niners at 13-1 to present some value, if this team does, and you know exactly where I'm going with this, lose in Seattle... They're a four and four football team. Okay. They are automatically going to be behind the eight ball. Eight ball. They're already last, right? In terms of all of these other teams. And that's record wise. The three spot, four spot. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? So that's the reason why I bring it up, especially as it pertains to the Niners. Now, I actually think the Niners are live this coming week because Seattle is going to be playing that extra 10 minutes uh, on, mm-hmm. from Sunday night. So I think that that can mm-hmm. give them a bit of a boost. And if they win that football game, then you will definitely have gotten some value on your 13-1. to 1. Now, you're not going to always beat the market to the number. Because if the only way we're allowed to talk about this is if you've got the apex of the number, then we're not really going to be able to have yeah, this it's conversation. Not happen all the time. So, That's fair. But that is why this is such an interesting market. There are two spots that stand out to me. Now, one, I'm not going to belabor, but I've been making this point the whole time. It is Philly. They're going to win the NFC East, but I've been saying this for a while now. The 28-1 to is certainly not the best of that number. But at the end of the day, you have 28-1 to win a home game, and then you've got two games left, right? And realistically, mm-hmm. you only would need to win one more game after the home game, and ahead. then you're way off the number, if not wanting to get off the number twice before that. The other spot, then, is much further up the board because I don't know how I want to handle, let's call it Tier 2, and my comfortability in them making the postseason. And I would just go to Green Bay at plus 490. I disagree that there is this much of a gap between Green Bay and Seattle and Green Bay and Tampa Bay. Green Bay right now has the best record in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers is playing some of the best football the league has to offer. And we've talked about this a lot, right, Dane? Picking apart resumes. Green Bay's only loss was in a tough schedule spot. 
to the Tampa Bay Bucks in Tampa Bay, a game they had a 10-0 lead in. They went to New Orleans, and that's one of the better wins that anybody has on this season. Ultimately, I think they still have defensive playmakers, even if the defensive side of the ball isn't delivering in the way that it did last season, but it still lets me know, considering most of those key contributors are still there, that they can maybe find some of that form again. And, again, this is the value in the roster resets that we did. I remember... I think this team through seven weeks very well could have been like two and five. And then they somehow finished 11 and five, right? right? Because the schedule does open up up for for Green Bay. So I think plus 490 is value on the Green Bay Packers. Okay, and that's fair. I do have two counterpoints for you, Kev. One is when we did that roster reset game by game, that was a long time ago. And some of those teams, some of those teams, right, we may be thinking very differently about than when we originally did it, right? Uh, For example, we're probably thinking a little bit differently about the Dallas Cowboys or about the Minnesota Vikings. And on the other side, we may be thinking differently about a game against, say, Carolina or Minnesota or Chicago, for that matter. But I do remember that exercise because you didn't love them to start and then somehow they were still Mm -hmm. 11 and 5. The other thing that you said that I want to kind of check you on just to clarify here when you say you think the Packers are that much far away from the Seahawks and the Bucks, I see I see Seahawks right now at four to one. I see Green Bay mm-hmm. at plus four ninety. I don't know that I call that ninety cents of difference. The books saying that it's a big difference because then I look at the AFC and the gap is much bigger between teams that you and I just said were both on tier one last you know yesterday. Even I just don't see the forty the ninety cents of gap in that as big of a difference and as big value as you do. For example, we'll talk about it in the AFC, but like you know the Ravens are plus three ten, the Steelers mm-hmm. are plus four seventy. Like that's a bigger gap than what you're talking about mm-hmm. in the NFC, and then all the way Tennessee down to ten to one, right? So I think when we talk about the tiers and the gaps, um, I don't know. I personally think that the book sees Green Bay on the same level as Tampa and as Seattle, but it is interesting. You're 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 thinking that this NFC East winner could also have value along with some of these other teams. What do you think about the Saints, Kev? Like the Saints also, when I when we talk about teams, I like to think about teams that have room for improvement, right? That I think are going to be trending up. And I believe there's reasons to think the Saints are trending up, right? Like their defense got some pieces back, hopefully gets better than giving up 30 a game. You gotta think a return of Michael Thomas eventually makes this offense different. Do you buy into the Saints number at all as value? So here's my struggle with the Saints. Next week, they are three-point road favorites in Chicago. No matter what you think of the Bears, that is far from a gimme. The following week, they play the Bucks in Tampa Bay for Antonio Brown's debut. And then the following week, they play the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I'm not telling you they're going to be 4-5. and five. I'd be surprised if they were 4-5. and five. Has Have the Saints done enough to tell you that they're going to be able to win two of those football games? I just, I wanted to see the Saints turn a corner. Well, they beat Tampa. I don't, I don't know. Sure. That was week one. Yeah. That was in New Orleans. Yeah. Are they going to clean sweep the Bucks? 
No, the Bucks are getting like, better also. So this is my problem with the Saints. There comes a point. This is it's, it's you know the Cincinnati Reds lose the first two games. The Kansas City Royals ah, I'm gonna lose the third game in a row, and then you lose money. Ah, yep. Michael Thomas, this guy's been out forever. This guy's coming back, and also Michael Thomas is never back, right? Right. It's the year's a mess for him. Injured week one because they were trying to run it up on Tampa Bay. He thinks he's gonna play in week two. We still haven't seen him. Was healthy enough to come back right before the bye. They suspend him for getting into a fight. Now he's hurt his hamstring. I don't know if Michael Thomas is coming back. Manuel Sanders just got hurt. Drew Brees, as the year goes on, you get lower on, not higher on. Every year this team falls short in the playoffs, no matter how much they want to talk about how they would have beat the Eagles the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Clowns. Stop Stephon Diggs then from running into the end zone. I don't know if this is a team at 6-1, to and I think it's fair just, I look, I'm not saying, you know, 490 to 4 to 1 is jaw dropping uh, value, but I just think right. the Bucks and the Seahawks should all be on the same line. And they're not, right. so I'll take the team at the lowest number. But the Saints, again, $2 off the Rams, 7 yeah. off the Cardinals and the Niners. No That's way. not where I would go. Yeah. I would go out west, Niners, maybe even these Cardinals who we've seen beat the number one seed in the NFC West. As we look, though, at the AFC playoff picture, you know, Kev, yeah. we've had this conversation before. And I think we agree, right, that this is, first of all, where the class, maybe the entire NFL is, right? Pittsburgh yeah. undefeated, KC at 6 and 1, Tennessee needs to be there. Um, Buffalo is the AFC East leader, even though Baltimore has the number one wild card still with only one loss. I've said it before, Kev. I'll say it again. Then you could react to it in the break, and we'll do the same thing. I think there are four teams that can still win the AFC. Actually, three and a half, in my opinion. For me, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Tennessee Titans, with the Baltimore Ravens just a half step below. And for me, that's because of what we see when Lamar Jackson has to throw the ball. We'll talk about this in the AFC when we come back right here on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Right here on to the early line, giving you the edge here on SportsGrid. Dane Martinez and my main man, the candle burner, Kevin Walsh. We've been trying to reset because I got to tell you, Kev, for the first time, I literally saw a playoff picture graphic on a network, you know, and I was like, wow, are we at that time? And I thought about it. Also, I'm doing like the waiver wire column in fantasy. We are past half of the fantasy regular season. Most most uh, fantasy leagues go 13 weeks and we're through seven of them. So we are at the point of a season where we have to look at this. So we bring up the AFC now, okay? And in the AFC, you got the division leaders. You got Pittsburgh. You got Kansas City. You got Baltimore. uh, Oh, excuse me, not Baltimore. You have Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Tennessee, and then Buffalo leading the divisions. Baltimore, even though they are only one lost team, they're behind Pittsburgh. So that's the number one wild card, technically. Then you got teams like Cleveland, Indianapolis, which would make up the full seven for the playoffs, Miami, 
the Chargers, the Raiders, hanging around kind of, quote-unquote, in the hunt. Um, I've said this to you before. I think the top three teams listed here are the class of the AFC. I think Baltimore um, is like a half step below. I think Buffalo is like a half step below that. And then a half step below that, I'm comfortable putting Cleveland, Indianapolis, and maybe another kind of also ran the best of the teams you think from eight through 10. I think we have three tiers here um, in the AFC. Baltimore is an interesting one. I believe, Kev, Baltimore is below Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City because Hmm. of something we have talked about before. For Kansas City, we call Patty Mahomes having all the answers, the elite fantasy herd, right? They could do it anyway. Run, throw, don't matter. I believe Pittsburgh is the same. With the emergence of guys like Dio Johnson and Chase Claypool, they are so multiple that they can do it. We have had so many conversations, Kev, about this Tennessee offense, right? And how Derrick Henry, and they have the left hand of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill performing as a top 10 quarterback 100% since he's taken over the, the, the starting quarterback job in Tennessee. Then come the teams that I don't know if they can do it both ways, Kev. I don't know if Buffalo can do it both ways because Josh Allen is liable to make that mistake in the big spot. And I don't know if Baltimore can do it in that way. We have seen them, um, you know, we have seen them, Kansas City, get out to a lead on them. And, you know, this week it may not happen. But I think Pittsburgh could also help stop the run game in the same way they were able to manage the Tennessee run game. And if those kind of conditions happen, I don't know what Baltimore can do, how Baltimore can respond. And that's why for me, they're a half tier below. How do you see the top levels of the AFC? So I really believe that Baltimore's inability to get the job done is overstated. The game that they played against the Kansas City Chiefs is obviously one that they'd love to have back, but they can run the football on that team. They just had some poor play-calling decisions, I believe. That's really what it came down to. Some moments that I'm sure they want to have back. They got themselves in a very bad game script, and it made them predictable, and Lamar did not have a good night throwing the football. I thought they played some very good defense in the second half, and they ultimately did cut that down to a one-score game. You know, it was 27-20. to 20. I mean, they were they were right there in that second half. So I don't believe that Baltimore is team three and a half. If you have them four, I understand that. Now, I don't think there's value on them at 310 because the book is unwavering in their belief that Baltimore is above Pittsburgh. Tennessee being 10 to 1 is outrageous. I don't know how anybody can leave that game against Pittsburgh and think they are this far off of Pittsburgh and any of these other teams. I will say, I also... I'm surprised the Chiefs are even still two to one. We talk about picking hole, you know, picking holes in resumes yeah. and, and things of that nature. You know, the Chiefs have wins. They're at so public. Buffalo, so public. But it should probably be more. Like they're not public. They're the best team in football. Like it's not like a, oh you dopes. No. Like, sometimes the public is so much smarter than everybody else because everybody tries to get cute and go this way. Oh, Big Ben. They are this much better than everybody else. Maybe a tier unto themselves? 
Yeah, oh, 100%. In the league, they're a tier onto themselves. They really listen, are. When we look at the Super Bowl odds, Kev, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs are the Super Bowl favorites at 4-1. to one. And then, listen, Baltimore, 550. And then, you know, everyone's darling Tampa at 850. So the book does see, you know, a pretty big gap between Kansas City and, and most. Yeah. They, 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 they are this good. Like, they are. Look at, like, you, and we talk about the resume. Wins in yeah. Buffalo, in Baltimore, and their loss... Caught napping at home against a division opponent, who like right. who amongst us. So I, I just like I'm not telling you that two to one is the most, inc- but like I expect you to be there. I expect you to be there, and I don't know how often you're going to find yourself, you know, worried. Right? What's the matchup? What's the nightmare matchup for the Chiefs? Right? Oh, if they ha- they have to avoid this team, they've beaten all these teams before. Yeah, I I hear you. Um, I think the kind of team that can give Kansas City problems would be a kind of team that can make Patty Mahomes uncomfortable and stop the run. You know, a team that can bring it, can get sacks and potentially stop the run. I would like to see Pittsburgh. I would like to see Pittsburgh against Kansas City. I ultimately would likely still bet Kansas City to win on a neutral field and all that. But I, I, I do think it's an interesting style makes fight. Now, with the NFC, Kev. You talked about, you know, like uh, six teams uh, for three spots, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever it was in terms of the wild card. Um, In the AFC, I see it slightly differently. I believe, Kev, the first five teams on this list will be in the playoffs. Will be in the playoffs, Kev. I may even be able to say the top six teams on this list will be in the playoffs. But I'm going to, for now, say five. I do not see a world where these top three teams, Baltimore included, AFC champs, Buffalo, because they got a working margin on Miami, on New England. I think those five teams are in, Kev. So, A, do you see it similarly? And then, B, if it's something like maybe four teams for two spots in the AFC, I kind of think Cleveland will get there. Who else do you like kind of making the dance? You do realize who's not on that list of the AFC playoff picture that lists the top 10 records, right? I mean... New England Patriots. The New England Patriots are not on that list. And the book still has them at 3-1. to Same odds as the Raiders. Significantly better odds than the Miami Dolphins. And again, I'm not saying I disagree. What I'm saying, it presents us with a weird... Conundrum. I mean, what happens if they beat Buffalo? Are we then still confident in Buffalo? Like, do we? Is the AFC East going to send two teams? No. You know what I'm right? Like, not in my because we're expecting three from the North, and we're expecting the Titans and Colts to get there. All of a sudden, now it becomes a bit of a sweat in Buffalo. I, I think it becomes tricky. Now, I don't really want or know about. Okay, so this is the difference between let's say the Niners at 13 to 1 and the Patriots at 31 to 1. The Niners, it, there's a big gap there. I don't know if New England's going to get there, but look at all of the extra value, right? More than double that I have on New England to where if they miss the playoffs, right? It's not going to crush yeah. not going to I mean it's not going to crush you either way, but it's not as deflating. And I'll say this in 
you know, the NFC, you go through those division odds. I don't know how many different spots we find value. In the AFC East, the Patriots are plus 480 to win that division. And in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens are down to minus 125 to win that division. Those are numbers that are very, very off where they were preseason. And with positive results this week, they start to climb way back in the direction that they were preseason. Yeah, uh, for me, I hear you, right? And there is still a long way to go, but it is worth kind of the check if you want to ride one of these horses coming in down the stretch. You know, Kev, for any of these teams to fully actually make the playoff picture, they're going to have to stay healthy. So, Kev, let's look at some of the injuries that took place coming out of Week 7 that we're going to be, the names we're going to be talking about all week and into the weeks to come, whether it's be practice reports, the results of MRIs, or when these guys are going to get back. Because we did have some big-time injuries, and they were to some of these contending kind of teams, right, Kev? So let's put up the graphic and see. I'm very concerned here. Obviously, Odell Beckham, we know, will miss the season. Cleveland is one of those contending teams. I am also, for me, Kev... You know, obviously the Kenyan Drake one in Arizona, but I look at these San Francisco 49ers. I told you for me, they are value potentially if and when they get fully healthy and whole. But when is that going to happen, Kev? Jeff Wilson Jr., who was a mm. revelation running for over 100 yards and touchdowns, you know, he's got an ankle. So now it might be Hasty and McKinnon, uh, but also Debo Samuel. They are saying that Debo Samuel with the hammy is going to miss a couple of weeks, Kev. And this is such an added element. That's part of why I was talking about the wide receivers and the horizontal pieces of the run game. Debo Samuel is a very important element of that Niners offense. Remember, the Niners were down a bit when Kittle was out early in the season. I think Debo has a similar effect and could be one of the most important names on this list. I think for the Niners... They are they are one of these teams when it comes to the offensive side of the ball outside of George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo, right? You know, you ask yourself, does it matter? Reem Mostert, right, is is showing to be like a, one of the better backs in the league when he's out there. Jeff Wilson Wilson ran for over 100 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, plug just put one of the backs out there. We'll be fine, right? You said they drafted Brandon Ayuk because he can just do what Debo does. Now you'd like to have both of them. But Brandon Ayuk apparently is just going to do what Debo does. What I'm interested in with a team like the Niners, who we can list a bunch of different spots where they've you know taken a hit, do they get aggressive in the trade market? What does mm. the trade market look like yeah. this year? Because so intriguing. a guy like Everson Griffin, I believe, right, of the Dallas Cowboys, right, we found out now mm-hmm. available, Dallas kind of going mm-hmm. into sell mode on their disaster season. Who else is going to be made available? A.J. Green? Could someone mm-hmm. actually pull off a blockbuster deal for Julio Jones? Who is actually going to become available? And that's why I think that injury list is important to note. Chicago Bears' Allen Robinson makes that list. They have a yeah. very, very big game coming up against the New Orleans Saints. Now, they're not going to be able to make a trade from now and get that player probably even cleared to go by Sunday, which was a whole nother thing when it comes to the trade market. But Allen Robinson, in terms of value to a point spread, one of the highest wide receivers in the league probably, 
that concussion looms large as we look yeah. at the outlook of week eight. No, absolutely. And I think you make a great point about the trading deadline, which will be coming up as well. We have started to hear names at the wide receiver position, A.J. Green on the Jets, Jamison Crowder, which could be valuable for the right kind of team. Right. And then Julio at the tight end position. We heard rumblings about your boy Zach Ertz before he got hurt. The Giants are fielding calls apparently on Evan Ingram. And then in the quarterback market, listen, I don't know, man. But remember Ryan Fitzpatrick talking about how he felt bad that he lost his team? Maybe he wants to bring the magic elsewhere. Jameis Winston is on a bench somewhere. The Niners have three quarterbacks that they think are valid. It's going to be very interesting to see the buy or sell dynamic here as we move on into the trading deadline. Well, Kev, we also we have the injuries. We have all the issues. When we come back, we turn our attention to the waiver wire. I give you my diamonds and fugazis for week eight on the waiver wire. I'll give you my rationale. Want to get your thoughts as well when we come back on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. I tried to tell everybody where we are in the season, and that's also where we are in the fantasy season, Kev. After week seven, most leagues, the regular season goes through week 13. So you're over half of the way there. So you may need to tinker and actually fire with your waiver wire budget or your fab budget to make it happen. So let me give you some diamonds that I see, Kev. We talked about one already at the wide receiver, and it is Brandon Ayuk. Kev, Brandon Ayuk is on rosters in less than half of leagues. And I do believe, Kev, he can be in that role. Now, with Aguilar on the Raiders, listen, he scored a touchdown in three straight weeks. Henry Ruggs has a role stretching the field. But with Braylon Edwards out, Aguilar has sort of been the most consistent floor for the Vegas Raiders. There's other wide receivers coming off buys that you may be interested in as well. A guy like T.Y. Hilton coming off his buy in Indianapolis, Kev, is only owned in uh, 60% of leagues, so it's worth the check. And then at the running back position, I'm telling people, I don't care, Kev. I know Arizona has a buy. Get Chase Edmonds on your roster if you can right now. I don't understand why he is not owned in a third of leagues. This guy is at worst 1B for Arizona and Kenyon Drake. We've seen what the high ankle sprain can do. And then also J.K. Dobbins, Kev. J.K. Dobbins is only rostered in half of leagues. It's another example. The Ravens coming off their bye. Mark Ingram still a little bit banged up. He's going to tough it out. But, Kev, the point I make about the rookie running backs continuing to ascend, we see it in Detroit with Swift. We see it with Gibson in Washington. And I think we're going to see it more and more with Dobbins in Baltimore. Those are some of the guys. Obviously, every league context is different. What do you think about, uh, what do you think about some of these names? So I will say uh, I'm. I think the J.K. Dobbins thing is incredibly yeah. smart, and that's why you get the edge from the spit and statistician. Nelson Aguilar making any list, yeah, it didn't work out well. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Nelson Aguilar making any list in a positive fashion, it will absolutely not sit well with me, and I will leave it at that. I think Brandon Ayuk is interesting, but I think all Niners wide receivers sometimes can be difficult to start. The last one though, Chase Edmonds. Obviously is a slam dunk, but I just want to give people a break. I understand why he is not rostered in 33% of leagues. There's not been an obvious week to start him. The 
Cardinals are offering not only a double-headed running back room, but their quarterback not only runs, but runs touchdowns every single yeah. week. Now is the first time that Chase Edmonds becomes the slam dunk. So if you are somebody out there in a league where Chase Edmonds is available, yes, try and add him, but no, don't feel too bad about it. Fair enough, and I'll do that even with the bye coming up. We'll talk more in hour number two right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 